Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, how, how do we want to put this, like itemization in video games versus tabletop games? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I'll just, let, let me just well, walk well, you Well, before, before you do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Okay, fair enough. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Um... And if you tuned in last week and heard that I was going back to Dragon Age Inquisition, right, like a big open world, very classically structured Western RPG crafting, you fight dragons, right, there's a main story quest, but there's lots of side quests, all this other kind of stuff, um... I found myself playing Dragon Age Inquisition this week, and I'm at, like, hour 50, and I'm pretty pretty deep into the end game. Uh, like, I think I have one mission left before I fight the big bad guy or whatever. Um, and I was running around killing each of the dragons, right? There was, like, a quest on my tracker that was, like, kill the ten high dragons in, in Thedas, or whatever it was called. And I was killing these dragons um, to get... Dragon Bone, which as far as I'm aware is the only tier 4 metal and is the only thing that can be used to make the very best weapons um in the game so that I could that I could craft myself an uh an incredibly powerful sword so that I I'm just like I am like decked out in the most powerful sword. Um and I eventually realized as I was maybe like 3 or 4 hours kind of like deep into this quest that I was that th- this was truly emergent gameplay in the sense that it was purely a result of the game's systems that were kind of like urging me on this way, right? I knew I had a very powerful tier 3 recipe and that if I could get all of the dragon bone I needed, I could make myself uh an incredibly powerful sword. I knew that dragon bone drops from dragons, which are hard boss encounters, typically one per zone that needs to be kind of scouted out and found. And then you get the right potions and you make sure that your your guys with your potions can uh, resist fire or resist cold or resist lightning, whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, uh, and then actually go and craft uh, the weapon with the appropriate leather and the, the appropriate cloth and all of these other kinds of things. Um, and it, and the, the thought that occurred to me wasn't about how, uh, wasn't about how this affects my video game playing, but actually how rare this feeling was when it came to Dungeons and Dragons. Now I have a theory about this, but that, that's kind of, that's the genesis. That's what's got me started on this path because in D and D we never really think about, or perhaps, a more apt way to put it is we never really allow this sort of thing to happen for players, right? When players uh, get focused on stuff like this, it's seen as like a distractor or a detractor. Um, and typically there's some effort to kind of like get people back on like the rails, right? So like, you know, so in, in Dragon Age Inquisition, I was killing this dragon to get dragon bone to create a weapon, right? Um, but in Dungeons & Dragons, when I kill a dragon, it, it's almost always because it's harassing a village or, you know, something else, something else kind of along those lines that's, like, plot-related rather than, like, purely sort of, like, mechanics-driven. Um, and I'm just really interested. I'm just, like, really, really interested in that and how all of that stuff works 
Yeah, well, I, I think I think kind of it's kind of like the opening volley in this. Um, I, I think the the primary thing is 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 we were talking about this very briefly before we, we hit the record button, but um, essentially. There's no like the, the way I expressed it before we got in is there's no grinding in tabletop games, and I think I think kind of the the, the kind of more uh, relevant thing is that there's no kind of um, extraneous combat, if that makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. like I could theoretically in my in you know see a a uh, a, a thing like this, right? Like you want to create you want to. I'm getting the materials to craft like a legendary sword, right? Like if you've got a smith in your party or you know one in town. But that in itself becomes a quest that has its own like story arc to it. Um, yeah. It's not like it, it would never be emergent because it's not um, – I mean first of all – first of all, I think part of this goes to like kind of crafting as a system in games which um, is – or in tabletop games which is generally bad. Like Pathfinder does it all through through money so it doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, and, uh, and, and it's kind of just like, it's, it's a time resource. That's the other thing, right? Like time tends to not actually matter in video games, but it does matter in tabletop. See, I actually think that that is the fundamental bedrock of all of this. I think the reason that there is no grinding in tabletop RPGs is because of time and not like in game time, but I mean real time. Right? Like, me having to... Okay, so, for instance, this is something that happened, right? I went to, to a dragon fight because I read the... I, I just thought it was a cold dragon. I fought two cold dragons in the area, and I was like, well, obviously, the third dragon in the area must be a cold dragon also. So I went back to my base, and I equipped myself with all this cold stuff, and then I went to the... You know, then I went to the nearest camp... And then I, I went to the dragon, and I had a couple of, like, random encounters, and I defeated those random encounters. And then I and then I saw the dragon, and I read its, like, stat table, and it's like, oh, actually, it's, it's cold vulnerable, and this is a fire dragon. And so I went all the way back to my base, got fire potions, went through, went through random encounters, and then got to the fire dragon. Now, that whole thing, it took me almost longer to explain it here than it did in-game, because Fast Trap... Excuse me. Fast traveling is a thing, right? It is very quick for me in an end game state to be dealing with these kind of random guys, right? They take what thirty seconds or whatever. But every round in D and D costs a ton of time, right? Every random encounter costs a ton of time. So I think if you, even if even if we were to say that what I'm essentially doing in Dragon Age is grinding, right? Which is kind of true. Um, the penalty to the grind is so, so much different because I'm wasting, you know, two minutes at a time on each of these fights. Whereas in, in tabletop, we'd be wasting 45 minutes, hypothetically speaking. Yeah. So I, I, I think that there's, I think that like, so I think that, uh, I think that component's very real. Um, I think you could, so I think it's mitigatable. I think, I think that you're. I think that the other side of this, which is kind of like in world time, um, is also a big factor, right? Like it's not always a factor, right? Not every not every campaign has like the bad guy knocking down the door, but a lot of them do, right? Like I, I think I think that like if you wanted to identify why this isn't the case in most games, um, I think that you could point to one half or more approximately of games do have like in-game kind of pressures to like do things now that don't don't wait because you decided to go fuck off in a in a meadow to like right. kill kill yeah. hairs until you had enough hair bones to make something um 
but and and uh, what's the the end? Uh, you're you're absolutely right that like combat, it, having combat for combat itself doesn't. How do I want to put this? Generic combat isn't fun in D anD. I think, or like it, it gets to a point where it's not right. Like you don't like combat is like it, it's this, it's this kind of weird love hate relationship because combat's kind of like the mechanical core of a lot of D anD. D and Pathfinder, but it's also like if it's like boring combat is the worst, right? It is it is it is, it is a it is a, a drain on the game. It's a drain on the table. Um, uh, so, um, so I, huh. so, so, so do what do, do, that, that seems like a, a fairly decent definition of the problem, right? Like that there's, there's, um, in like in world and, and in real life constraints on time, um, there's, uh, not a great system to back it up, not a great crafting system, um, to back it up, uh, to, to make it worth it. Um, and, and those, those are the, the, the two big things. I also think that like, I think part of the problem too is like the way you get items in D and D is typically like, like random rolls at a shop or like a, a curated list, right? Yeah. Like there's not a lot, like because crafting is so bad, um, it's, you, it's mostly instant gratification anyway, right? It's not like you're. It's not like this is Diablo where you're like like reprocking bosses to get better dope drops. So yeah, and so in, and so interestingly, I also think that there comes pressure sort of like from the other side, which is that typically items in D and D are more. So so I'm thinking about a player that resembles uh, a lot of friend of the cast Nick, right? Um, who stats out his character all the way through all 20 levels, you know, and knows what feats he's going to get and what would, you know, level ups or whatever. And, and part of that is finding the items. And he says, oh, well, here I'm going to use the gold that I make from leveling up to buy a, a flaming dagger. And then I'm going to upgrade that flaming dagger at level 11 for a flame burst dagger or, you know, like whatever it is sort of thing. Um, and so there's a certain amount of like, I kind of wonder, um, so, so part of part of why I wonder so much about this is I've talked before about like the plans in my head for doing a, an entirely opposite game to what Hell's Rebels is, right? Very narratively driven, um, in doing something that is much more kind of like environmentally driven uh, in Pathfinder in Pathfinder Second Edition, where you get lots of where there where the, there isn't much of a main quest. The main quest is kind of chart this uncharted land. Right, so you can take your time and do sort of whatever you want, but there's all these plot hooks everywhere that that people will follow. But I would wonder if Nick were playing in that game, and I included a plot hook that was like, you know, the 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 locals have a legend about a sword in a lake, you know, and if you go to the lake and you do a thing, the the lady of the lake is gonna give you a sword, right? Um, I wonder how much that would attract a player like Nick who would go, Hey man, I'm sure that sword is very cool, but I already know that I'm getting a flame burst sword at level 12. So why bother? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think part of it too, like, I, I, I think, I think part of the, the, the thing that you're talking about is also like known kind of game space, right? Like we know what items are in Pathfinder, right? Like, yeah. Pres- when you, 
first time you're playing through a video game, you generally don't know what you're what what, what that's like very you true, can actually. can yeah, build right. So like you have the ability to plan that out in in a Pathfinder or a D and D game. Um, yeah, I mean, I in, to a certain extent, I was planning that out because I understood that Dragon Bone was the most powerful metal, and I needed to. Um, or I wanted to get as much of it as possible in crafting that weapon, but I didn't, you know, I, I also think that there's a certain amount of it that like in Dungeons and Dragons, there is more because the numbers are simpler. They're a lot easier to parse compared to something where all of the calculations are being backended by a computer, right? Um, in Dragon Age Inquisition, it's a lot easier for me to boil it down and say, you know what, if I just make my best quality schematic with my best quality metal, that will leave me with the best quality sword I'm ever going to craft, right? Um, but in D&D, that sort of thing is, like, a lot tougher to, you know, like that kind of sweet spot is a lot tougher to yeah. find. Yeah, it, it, it's, I think it's also one of these things for, like, you know, it's it's it. How do I want to put this? There's no side content in D and D, right? Like, it's 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 not like even if you, you do something that's quote unquote optional in D and D, it's it's only as optional as you like let it be, right? Like, it's not like there's like a theoretical other party that's like or another player that's going through the same game and doing something different with yeah. their with, with their time, right? Like, so it, it plays off of itself in. In weird ways, um, I think. I think part of this, I think something that, that you've that you've kind of hit on with this, uh, you know, parsability of numbers thing is because the uh, the the computer backends a lot of the combat for you. You have the ability to make items like more interesting. Generally, um, not that there aren't interesting items in Pathfinder, but like, um, uh, you can kind of uh, let let that uh, let let the uh, the computer do that work for you, so you can do like different things with items i think another part of this too is is um because because the, the the thought space around the items is relatively kind of um uh what's it unknown like relatively unknown to, to path right like you've got like seven thousand nerds on the internet telling you what the best items for your D character are and i'm sure there's similar stuff for dragon age but almost in, in a sense it's like it's not as important in dragon age because it's like a single player experience yeah. Um and uh and you you it, it's it's almost like it's almost like in Pathfinder and D&D it is rarely the case where you kind of have some options put out in front of you which would be like loot or um or like schematics you know like a crafting menu or whatever that you get in a video game right. and you get to choose from among them, right? In D&D, it's much more either you only have kind of like the loot that you get or you kind of have the whole panopticon of all of the items that have ever been in D&D ever. Um, and that like allows for a lot kind of like more extreme specialization. Um, and it's one of those yeah. things – it's one of those things where like um, because everything's in gold rather than in, in, in any sort of crafting material, it's not like – Oh, I have five dragon bones. What's the best thing I can make with five dragon bones until I can find five mithril ore or whatever? It's yeah. I mean, I kind of wish that that system. Like, yeah. I feel like you probably could do a system like that in D and D. Yeah, um, no, it, it need... and it would be neat to see something kind of along those lines, like in Pathfinder Second Edition or whatever else. Um, yeah, um, Angry but, GM um... is writing a series of articles about a better crafting system. He's not very far in it, so not a lot to talk about. But he he raises a lot of these kind of concerns. Um, a little yeah. bit more on the practical end. Um, 
because I because I think it has some real challenges. You know, I in a, in a lot of ways I would probably say that this is something that is better homebrewed than anything else. Um, just because, like, you know, can you guarantee? Let you know, like, I think it would be frustrating playing in a game where you need Sun Silver to make a Sun Silver Saber, which is like the best in slot you know, scimitar or whatever, but your game is in, you know, Bravoy and Sun Silver is a mineral that only exists in the northern mountains of Gurund or something like that. And it's like, well what do you do with that? You know what I mean? Um yes. th- those kinds of things like would be would be frustrating in a way. Yeah, I, I I feel like I feel like it wants to be uh like you kind of have an idea of what you want and it, it, like it, it kind of falls into this quest paradigm, right? Like, um, cause you can't like, like you could say like, you know, well, I'd like to make my son silver scimitar. Right. Um, and so the GM can then be like, well, do some research. And then like, when you like, you know, like scatter around and somebody, some was like, Oh, I heard there was an abandoned sun silver mine to the North. Right. Like that becomes like a quest. Right. But that, that falls out of kind of like the natural crafting paradigm that you get in video games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where you're just, like, wandering through the world, right? Like, I can imagine a version of things, like, let's say in, like, this Uncharted game or whatever, where, like, every time you discover a hex, you discover herbs and ore and leather, you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, these are all the crafting materials that you've discovered in this hex sort of thing. So that you can, like, so, like, let's say you have it on your map and you say, okay, I need to get... I want to I want to craft myself some new leather armor and I need to go get, you know, you know, like dire bear hide. Oh, well, we scouted this hex and we saw that there are dire bears here. So this is where we can go get it, you know what I mean? Like I think that system would be interesting, but I yeah. think it just like wouldn't get enough use to justify it to itself. You know what I mean? Like you would really have to work hard on a homebrew crafting system to justify that kind of level of commitment. Yeah, I, I think part of this too is what we were talking about a little bit with like, you know, like this, like, you know, like, well, the, all the sun silvers in Garund or whatever. It's yeah. that you need either complete new players or you need complete, a complete kind of divergence from the expected, from, from like the known item set. Because yeah. at, at that point, it's like, you know, I need, it's, it's not like I get to discover something. I get to do this cool new thing. No, it's like, I have to jump through these dumb, stupid hoops to get my, my normal plus one dagger. Um, well, and I think that there's also a question of kind of like, what, to like, to what extent do, can you reward the delayed gratification? Yeah. So like, so for instance, right, let's say it is, it is a much more generalized thing, Right. You buy a schematic, maybe, and the schematic is for good armor, but you don't know what it does or whatever, and you you have all the different pieces of it, and it's one of those things that you're not necessarily hoping for, but, like, when it pops up, you're like, oh, that's very cool, right? You know, you need dire bear leather in order to complete the schematic, and so as you're exploring, oh, we hit dire bear leather, great, 
let's take a let's take like a quick trip to go kill a dire bear so I can skin it and add that to kind of my like list of whatever. And let's say that this takes place over a, a certain amount of time, but like it's not a driving quest, right? It's just kind of yeah, like yeah. background to the other stuff that you're doing. Well, to a certain extent, I want to say that like in that instance, the, whatever the reward is should be very high, right? Because like it is it's something it, you know it's something that's taking a long time in order to complete right with a bunch of different kind of like disparate steps that requires a certain amount of sort of like you know exploration but at the same time doesn't that kind of like open up the the like i guess the this the the same path for abuse that we see in other places and in other ways where someone looks at that and they say oh my only goal is to find dire bear stuff and if we explore a hex and don't find dire bear leather we have to immediately explore another hex and that's all we're doing with our time do you know what i mean yeah i i also think that like even if in the, in the case where it's like an entirely passive system um it's it's kind of no better than random drop loot just because um you know, if if it's something that you only ever do when you're on your way somewhere, then it's kind of like getting like and and like the the recipes are like things you you have access to. It's kind of like you might as well just give it to them as a random drop at that point, uh, because you know, like you you know, it's like it, it's not like you're making any choices to go capture that stuff. It's like you're just you know taking the extra st step of quote unquote crafting an item while you're along the way where you, you follow what i'm saying it, 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 it's no it, i definitely yeah i definitely feel that throwing in like another weird mechanical step to for the, for the same end um, um but i i do i do feel like the the right way to do this is like you know you you kind of have like an idea of what you want i, th I think i think what you want is is kind of like it's it's work but it's the same, you know, uh, uh, Mark put a lot of work into his kind of like relic weapons type of thing. Um, you, you want kind of the uh, – to give the players the freedom to kind of mark out a thing that they maybe – that they directly want that's kind of above and beyond the normal way that um, that that uh, items work. Um, and, uh, and then make that kind of like – potentially it's its own focus right like you make, make it its own kind of arc if that makes yeah. sense um uh the the only the only kind of thing there is that it's it feels like it feels like one of these problems is like it's a thing that like if not every like either everybody has to get one or but like or like maybe if only one person is really on board like you know like the fighter wants his very special sword but like if the wizard doesn't care is he just kind of along for the ride for a whole quest oh yeah that's its whole it's this whole other thing yeah, yeah. like the, you hear the quest about the lady of the lake but if you're a wizard why the fuck do you want to go on that quest right, right? I mean, in a single player rpg or whatever right like even it, like you know in Dragon Age, even if I find a weapon that I can't use on my main character, I'm at least managing the inventories for the rest of my party. Like, maybe fucking, you know, whatever, Cassandra can, like, carry that shit. Um, but I feel like that's not something that feels as good uh, in D&D &D because we're all selfish, selfish people. And So I think it's less being selfish, right? Because I, okay. I think you've got a point. I think that there's, like, a level of this... Where it's like, well, just be happy. Like, you know, you, you go get the Sword of Lightning Lake. That way, that way, Arthur, your your party member, is more powerful, um, even if you're Merlin. 
Um, but at the same time, I appreciate the lengths that we're going to yeah. uphold this metaphor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the same time, right? Like that necessarily means that Arthur's in the spotlight for that entire arc, right? And yeah. you know, and you know, to, to kind of continue this on, right? In the story, in the Legend of King Arthur, King Arthur is center, and Merlin is kind of a side character, and that's yeah. fine for that story, but it's not fine for like a collaborative storytelling group experience. Um, and I think, and I think there's an answer to that. Like a hypothetical answer to that is like, okay, well, maybe this is only like one session deep, right? Yeah, I see you what you're go back to town, and oh, hey, there's this, there's this, like you know, side quest available, and you can go on this side quest kind of whenever. And the party is trying to figure out what they want to do, and Arthur's like, hey guys, can we go do the Lady of the Lake quest? I really want to get that sword, and everyone's kind of like, fine. But in that instance, I actually kind of feel like then the sword can't be all that. All yeah. that powerful because it, you know if it's a one and done sort of thing, like it doesn't feel like a big reward for a big, you know, like a a big progressive arc anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I see what you, I, I see what you're saying. Um, it's also one of those things where, like, if it if it is a big reward, you have to have a balancing factor for everybody else in the party because you know it's it's essentially you know every, no one likes being not the great guy in the party, right? Like, everybody wants to be good at yeah. at least their thing. Um, and you could do that by, like, you know, Arthur gets his, get, gets, you know, the gets Excalibur, um, and then, like, Merlin gets, like, four wands, right? But, like, at some point, is are you, are you running into kind of weirdness there because the wands are kind of all random, you know, apparently random drops and, like, you know, how much are you pigeonholing Arthur by by giving him? Yeah, the or exact or do you just make everything like really vague or whatever? It's like, oh well, there's some weapon in the lake, and, the, yeah. and it just happens to be a sword. So like your sorcerer and your rogue, who were both hoping that it was you know a bow and it was a staff, yeah, uh, no, respectively I, get kind of fleeced. I, I I think I think like kind of all in all that. If you're going to like, if it's a specific quest for a thing, what that thing is has to be fairly clear, right? Like, it's you know, if you've got a sword wielder, a bow user, and a st- and you know, like a a wizard, and you go and it's like, oh, there's a legendary weapon in the mountain. It's like, great, it's a fucking you know, like it's a fucking spear. None of us use this shit, right? Like that that's yeah. that's gonna be, um, not not so so great. And I think and 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 like zooming out, right? Okay, so like. Uh, that's just one instance, but hypothetically speaking, I'm talking about a, a campaign that is driven in a lot of ways by this mechanism, right? And so, if that's the case, at what point does like at what point do you futz with it in order to like justify the quest, right? Like, you know, if I'm building right now without any knowledge of what the party kind of like looks like, maybe I put a I put a spear. In the as a legendary weapon in the mountain, and none of you can use it, right? Or even worse, you get there and the spear user doesn't want to use it. Or even worse, you get there and the spear user just got another crazy spear off of a similar side quest that you never expected the players to do back to back, right? That happens. That happens yeah. all the time in video games, right? Um, one of the things that I keep experiencing in Dragon Age as I 
kind of like end up finding my way back in places that I out level is I'll end up kind of passively completing certain of these side quests, right? And you're like, boy, if I came here when I was level seven, this would be fucking awesome. But I'm like level 18 and this, you know, this like great axe is completely worthless to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I feel like that is a much more acceptable thing in Dragon Age than it is in D&D. I think if that happened in D&D, people would be really pissed. So I I also think that like you, you you're kind of like sideways highlighting another part of this problem, which is that like there is no level in D&D where you're level 18 and it's level 7 unless like it's supposed to be, right? Like it's like to, to put this another way, right? Like Let's say you have to go kill the dragon. That's, like, the ultimate end goal of your campaign. And, like, along the way, you hear about this, like, magic sword in the mountain um, that could really help you kill this dragon, right? Like, I think part of the, 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 the issue is that, like, in a video game, it's like, oh, getting that sword will definitely make the dragon easier to kill. Um, like, I can go play it without the sword. I can go play it with the sword and see how much easier it is once I have the sword. Um, in D&D, it's kind of, like... Regardless of whether I get the sword or not, the dragon's got to be at some level beatable in order for, like, this to work. Um, and so, like, I, I feel like that's kind of, like, baked in, like, the expectation that, like, the, 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 the challenges in front of you are, 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 uh, are, are, are mountable um, regardless. And I think that that, that, that really screws with, with this a lot, if that makes sense. You know, I, I'm kind of coming around to an idea that says, like, maybe you could do this in D&D. You just have to, like, be really clear with the party that, like, listen, we're going to be breaking a lot of the, you know, the kind of conventions. Um, and you need to be, like, kind of okay with that. Because I do actually kind of like the idea in this kind of, in a, in a kind of, like, plotless game, so to speak, where you show up and there's a dragon and you fight the dragon a little bit and it gets pretty, and it gets pretty rough. But you run away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Running away in a plot game is really bad because almost always you need to stop the bad guy from doing the bad thing or else the world will end or something kind of invariably yeah, yeah. along those kinds of lines. But, like, in in a, in a game structured a little bit more like this, like, yeah, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if you say, okay, well, we're going to leave and we're going to come back later. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or like, you know, like the, you know. Maybe there is plot there, but it's not like it's like you know, the dragon's always going to be there, and if you show up again, he'll be like, "Oh, it's you again, right?" or whatever. But it's yeah. you just can't be like that that internal time pressure that we were talking about. Um, I think that's I like the idea of the dragon of going back to the dragon, and he looks at you and he's like, "You," <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, but I, I I think a big I think a big part I, I think what we're stru- what we're stumbling into here is that I think there's a fundamental problem with. Yeah, like getting players to run away, right? Like, it's... yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah, um, and to a certain extent, I almost wonder how much of this is just like baked in or whatever. Because, like, in a certain sense, maybe like running away. I, I think running away in Dragon Age doesn't feel as bad because there's not much like "quote unquote" sunk cost on the line. Um, in the sense that, like, for instance. If I run away from the dragon to because I'm like, oh, I have the wrong potions, whatever, I come back a second later, right? But if I run away from the dragon in D&D, that's like 30 minutes that's just like down the hole. You know what I mean? Just because like even if we go one or two rounds of combat with the dragon to figure out what its breath weapon is so that we can get the right kind of like gear or whatever, those rounds just take a while. Um, and I feel like, you know... 
coming away with that with just like uh some some scraps of knowledge just wouldn't be enough yeah um yeah i i think you'd have to play the whole game like i think i think what you actually really want is to kind of like set the game up like this and have like early encounters that like like murder characters until they learn that they have to run away like yeah um you know, so something something like that, right? Which is which is its own kind of mess, but like I I do have to say that I think it would be very e- it would be a lot easier to murder characters in this framework than in the other frameworks, yeah. Just because like there's not going to be like a fate of the world, you know what I mean? You don't need to you don't you don't really need to uphold relationships with somebody. Like if you're out in the wilderness and your only goal is to Lewis and Clark, essentially, right? Um, and you die. It's not like you lose, you know, like some, you know, it's not like you lose all of the connections to that person's like deep and storied backstory or kind of like whatever, right? And all the NPCs that that person has like befriended because that kind of stuff doesn't really exist in a game like this compared to a game like Hell's Rebels where any one of the main party dying would carry pretty serious consequences because everyone is wrapped up in the politics. Um yeah, I, I I feel like if somebody died in Hell's Rebels, they'd almost have to like play one of the secondary characters. Like they'd have to play like you know Ralph or yeah. or uh, uh, I can't remember any of the other characters because we it's been too long since we played that game. Um, no, but, yeah, no, for real. But mm-hmm. like in a, in a, in a sort of in this kind of like exploration game, right? You wouldn't need to you wouldn't need to like worry about that kind of stuff. I think to a certain extent, I almost sort of fear that without the the driving issue of the plot, people might just like run into like choice paralysis. You know what I mean? Like if you just keep kind of r- racking up side quests over and over and over again, um, like will the party will the party like commit to something or will they just kind of be like I don't know what to do, just this one. You know what I mean? Um, I I, I think. It's not so much of a problem if the tone is set right. I don't think – by the way, I don't think this game works well online. I think this game is something that has to be done in person. Um, okay. Just because, like, I think plot can, like, kind of, like, force people – like, who can, like, kind of drive people who aren't paying attention well forward. But I think that, like, playing in person kind of, like, gets rid of a lot of these these kind of wiggly issues. You can get people to be like, oh, yeah. boy, I want to explore the next thing. Um, and I think even in this kind of Lewis and Clarky thing, you, you want you want plot hooks that maybe just aren't as kind of big and interposing, right? Like I think I think I think Kingmaker did this fairly well. Um, uh, the 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 the, uh, the the real like you know like the the tabletop version, um, um, that it was good at kind of like you're exploring for the sake of exploring for mapping out this this stuff and there's cool stuff to do along the way. Um, I think it's just, it, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I don't know. This it, is a concept of like content completeness that I think. Kind, like, I, I think, I think that maybe, maybe our group has just played adventure paths for too long. Um, we haven't really played, ever played a campaign that's just kind of been like, you know, adventure of the week type stuff, right? And I think that yeah, that really has to like be like the the thing that you're doing the game for. I, I think that you you have like, I think kind of given our our relative life positions, if this makes sense, that like, you know, 
when we're getting game, we're like getting stuff done, right? Like because you know our our time is is of some value, um, in that sense. I think that like you know if we all live geographically proximate, and then you know every Saturday we came by and chopped the ship for a couple hours while we did some like you know weird bows or dungeoneering, um, like like I, I, this feels like much more a beer and pretzels type thing, if that makes sense, mm. right? Like, um. And that's the right venue for this kind of thing where, like, you know, you're constantly kind of building your characters up and, you know. And maybe there's some plot points along the way, but it's much more kind of, like, about, like, these weird fellowship things, right? Like, it's like a lot of kind of the drama in the game is going to come from, like, your, your characters interacting with each other and, like, little bits of, of the outside world. But it's, it's largely going to be player-driven. Um, and you're just kind of, like, as a GM, you're just kind of, like, generating kind of things to do that kind of let things uh happen where like you know like kind of like a how do i want to put this like a like a like a like a simulator almost right like a like a minecraft or something or a skyrim yeah 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 no well, yeah so i think i think in a certain sense kind of like that skyrim is the fantasy um and maybe you could definitely get that done and i think to a certain extent like critical role or like a lot of those kinds of structures um, for games, get that done, uh, get that yeah. done that way. So like, yeah, like moving away from adventure paths and having adventures be like a little bit more, um, impromptu, I yeah. guess. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about this stuff. Like I've been thinking about this stuff like quite a bit. I feel like so much of it just boils down to the difference between a two minute combat and, a you know uh a 45 minute combat it's just like it's we call these things rpgs and they have they do have a lot of similarities but because like the second to second of it is so different it is kind of tough yeah honestly i feel like this might be a place where like eventually the computer games will catch up right like I, f- I feel like this is almost a thing where, like, you want to, like, you know, play some, like, play, like, uh, like Skyrim, multiplayer Skyrim in character, if that makes sense, right? Like, you want to be, like, yeah, or, like, play, like, Monster Hunter in character. It's like, oh, we want to go, like, kill, uh, kill fucking Ampharos today. Ampharos is a Pokemon, but you know what I mean. Uh, we want to go kill Ampharos today. It's like, oh, okay, but, like, instead of doing it as, like, four gamers you're doing it as like you know four monster hunters it's like ah ah yes Gimli we will go and slay the mighty beast so I might gather a new string for my bow and you know um I think I I think that's kind of the 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 path you want to take with that kind of stuff to 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 get it there and I think that's much better facilitated by kind of like stuff that a GM doesn't have to handle so much, right? Like, or you can, like... Like, I, I think I think computer games will eventually get there, get there for us, right? Where it's, where it's like, this this, is, this feels like sandboxy MMO-type stuff. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, because I really like playing these sorts of sandbox games. Like, what, I really enjoy playing Dragon Age, and I enjoy that I can kind of be doing the main quest or whatever, but then I can also go back and go, you know, to, uh, I don't know, just, like, finding your own goals in the game. Like, this isn't even getting into kind of, like, collectibles, 
which is something that's in that's in Dragon Age and something that I actually like in Dragon Age. Um, you know, like there are those astrariums where you do the um, you do the constellations, and there's like one or two. Or actually, I think there's like three or so in a zone. Um, and those three will then point to a cave that gets unlocked and you go to the secret location of the secret cave and you get a super cool, crazy weapon or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, so it's maybe, maybe it's not just that there's the sword in the lake, but there are the astrariums and there are like the shards and the oculariums or whatever. And there are closing the fade rifts and all of these other kinds of things that like kind of compound into a you know like a deep well, well stocked sandbox. Um, and to a certain extent, I kind of like wonder how much of that is possible in a D and D game when you essentially have one developer who can't be a computer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I think it requires a lot of like pre work by by the GM, right? Like he has to like have like enough of the world kind of uh, built out. I know I know that I forget what the what the, what the style's called, but there's a style of game um where uh essentially you you do this but like you let the like you let the GM know ahead of time kind of what you're going to do and he has the opportunity to plan out what what that is before you actually sit down at the table. Um but I think that's kind of what you're aiming for, right? Like that you, um, that you're, uh, th- that, you know, th- there's, there's enough of a world out there that's built out enough for like, has enough elements in it that you can be like, you can be like, Oh, you're like the, the mission is kind of like, you know, uh, you know, tame the continent so that, you know, the, 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 the empire can come and, and settle it. And, uh, you've got like vague goals for that, but like everything kind of starts like sort of contributes to that. Um, and so you can just kind of go about that however you want. You can be like, oh, I feel like, you know, clearing goblins out of this hovel today. Um, and the, the GM just has to be, be able to be prepared for what all of that entails. Um, huh. I, I feel like, I feel like you want like, um, kind of like a, a subsystem on top of that kind of like represents, uh, like, you know, like for, for this theoretical uh, you know, Lewis and Clarky type thing, right? Like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like continent dominance, and it goes up a couple of points regardless of what you do. Um, you get that by exploring or whatnot, and then as as you get more dominance points, like you know, the city where you land it, like the city that you're building where you land it gets bigger, and you get more resources, and you can do more stuff there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's actually very uh, a cool piece of it. That's one of the things that I like a lot about Dragon Age Inquisition is like you're running around the world and you'll run into a bridge and then that bridge will be, you know, there'll be like a thing at the bridge and then you go back to your war table and it's like, Hey, do you want to repair this fucking bridge and go to the other side? And you're like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. neat. And I feel like those kinds of pieces, um, to games like this are the pieces that you're looking to like really maximize, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause it, it, in a certain sense, there is no there are no borders um if there's ever a cliff or something like that you know like you and the party can just climb down it you know and yeah, i feel yeah. like that feels good um yeah i, I so i i think kind of the, the secret sauce there is what you want is is you want like to find a bridge that's out 
and you want to find like uh you know like a, a monster hovel and then when you get back to town it's like well you've got you could the bridge is out and you can repair the bridge so you could focus on gathering you know doing something that lets you go gather wood for that or whatever materials for that um or you could go clean out the goblin hovel or there's like another hex that you haven't explored yet so you could go do that and it's kind of like well what do we feel like doing today right like that t- type of thing um uh, th- that can that can kind of drive those choices and let it kind of be like like a, a naturally evolving kind of thing. Um, yeah. I also think part of what you want to make this like to like harness what like it, essentially I, I think part of the just to kind of take a step back part of the danger here is like you don't want to hew too close to video game systems because at what point why aren't you just at some point why aren't you just playing a video game um, because of the things that it does do better. So I, I think you want like things on kind of like. You want things that kind of do expire, right? Like you want, like, mm. um, you know, like this, uh, this, this kind of like hovel that's you know this monster den. It's like if you don't deal with it soon enough, it uh, it'll overrun and it'll kind of like you know revert this area to wilderness. You won't have as much dominance over that, but you you want it to be such that like you can't you can't fix every option, right? Like you can't you can't do everything. Um, it's kind of but but nothing nothing so severe that you like feel bad that you didn't get to it just kind of like well that's the way it went type of stuff yeah yeah, yeah i also think part of it is about like the design of the monsters themselves um one of the things that i think is important about any of these kinds of uh interactions is the ability for players to kind of like learn as they go so you know so for instance when you fight a bear at level three and when you fight a dire bear at level nine they are both using mechanics that you can kind of like recognize and incorporate later down the line in the same way that like you know dragons are the obvious example of this because they have breath weapons right so you can be like oh well you know don't clump up and he won't fucking use a breath weapon to kill all of us sort of thing um but i feel like that's something that has to be with like everything in a way in order to make a game like this work um because otherwise the barrier to doing the exploration to get the items right and allowing your gameplay to be emergent from just sort of the systems that you set up you also need to kind of like make sure that the challenges that people are fighting aren't constantly brand new if that makes sense yeah um, and I think, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe that's just general pr- all purpose advice and should always be, that's something I'm doing in Hell's Rebels. And I think that that's something that's important in, uh, in standard kind of storyline D and D as well. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, <sighs> I, I, I think that, I think, I think, I think really it comes back to this, like, so, so I'm thinking to myself, like, well, what kind of drives a lot of this behavior in video games as well? It's like when you screw up, you die, but then you, like, load a saver, then you respawn, and then you go try and tackle it a different way. And the equivalent to that has to be running away. And so you have to make running away not only, like, a a, a kind of, like, expected tac- tactic, but it also has to be, like, fairly viable, right? Like, part of the problem with, with you know, like, say, like, a dragon is, like, is, you know, if you start to run away, like, how far down, how far does the dragon chase you, right? Like... How do you get yeah. yourself out of that situation? At what point do you end up just like staying and fighting, standing and fighting anyway? And at what? And it's not necessarily at what point do you end up standing and fighting, but at what point does kind of the knowledge that you might have to stand, like that that the dragon's going to outrun you, and you have to stand and fight? And because of the situation, the DM has to make the encounter um, 
uh, it has to make the encounter kind of uh, uh, beatable affect how you play the game, right? Like, this is like seven, seven yeah, layers of player interaction meta, meta. And you always have to be thinking about, like, what do are, what are the death mechanics look like? If if being able to run away is the is the sort of D and D version of like save and continue right like quick save spamming, um, like do, at what point does some like what happens if somebody gets caught in the crossfire and dies? Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and they have to like roll a new character. What stats can they use? Can they roll? You know, can they just do the thing where it's like, oh well, you know, my I'm Steve too. Exactly, right? Like, can they do that? Do you have to for like a, a rule that I commonly enforce is that you have to play a different race class um, when you re-roll a character, just so that people don't end up going, you know, oh well, you know, my human wizard died, and oh well, did you look at that? Here's a human wizard who wants to join the party. Um, and so it's like, and so you know, how it, it, does is death punishing in that way, and is that bad? It really upends a lot of your preconceived notions about D anD. d I think is kind of what we're what we're explaining slowly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I, I, I think, I think it could work. I also think that like, this is, this is like a weird kind of like. I think this is a thing that would like not was more accomplishable for the older version of the game, but just kind of a thing that was a little bit more expected, right? Like I, I think that there was less expectation that the games would be like you know long and epic sagas and more kind of like you know like dungeon crawls with connective tissue. Um, I think that's like a thing that is that has evolved as 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 time yeah. has gone on, right? Like the it kind of like unlike the on the game story spectrum that D&D lies. And I think it's like shifted from game to story more and more, um, at least in the yeah, kind of popular I mean, context. So I also think that that's very interesting. And that's something else I think I would like to explore. Like I like the idea of doing an exploration game where dungeons exist, but are kind of true dungeons. Like, okay. Could you imagine, for instance, you're like, you're exploring and you're finding clues to like this lost dwarven tomb or whatever. And then you find the location of the tomb, but now you need to get three keys and you need to go explore and you find the three key. And like, I feel like that is probably one of the coolest and most compelling ways to drag not not drag, but to like to like get a party, you know, kind of like going and hype for a game. Yeah. Uh, because in in the same way that like the Lady of the Lake kind of rolls into some problems because your wizard doesn't give a shit. I feel like everybody looks at a, a, a you know a pristine, unplundered dwarven tomb and is like, "Yo, let's let's fucking loot the shit out of this." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I and I feel like that would be very cool. I, I also feel like we're starting to sound like. You know, OSR enthusiasts who never knew what the old school was like. OSR being old school revival, like yeah, you know, like, yeah. like that, that's like a whole movement um, in in like the the tabletop community. It's like we were never really there, but I I think that there's like this there's there's like a, a drive in us to kind of see, see like go and kind of see that see that content as it were. It, it, yeah, it's weird. I, I think that part of the reason that the, that this type of content has fallen out of favor as of late is because. Like the pure dungeon crawly thing is a thing that a video game can do better, right? Like it can mm-hmm. kind of push, the, tweak those buttons better. And so there's that na- there's a natural kind of inclination to focus on the things that um, the tabletop does better, which is kind of like freedom of narrative. Um, yeah, and, and being what, able to like really choose how a story goes down. Yeah, and and and, and that kind of thing. Um, 
Yeah, I I I think that just kind of like I think I think maybe part of it is like you know, like it's kind of like a weird false choice syndrome, which is the thing that tabletop games should be avoiding, but it's like at some point like you you want kind of like your worldview to be expansive enough that like certain paths are just cut off, right? Like mm. um, you know, like maybe like, you know, maybe your party never like climbs over this cliff in front of you because none of them can climb very well or only two of one of them can. Um, and you know, either they come back in 30 level or, you know, in 10 levels when they've got enough fly spells to, to, to get themselves over the thing. Um, or they just kind of don't, but that's fine because, you know, in a video game, there has to be content in that direction in, in a tabletop game there really doesn't. Um, and then that's like, a thing that like should be more uh, kind of open, right? Like, and then maybe this is, this is, I think kind of uh, uh, a trap that a lot of modern gaming has fallen into where it's like, as you're, as you're kind of like looking at your toolbox for solving the problems in front of you in a campaign, um, there's a lot of like, when you see an enemy, it's a combat solution. When you see like a wall, it's a skill check. Um, and yeah. and uh, I, I think I think part of this is, is you know being experienced players, right? Like I think new players are a lot better at kind of looking at a situation and be like, well, what if I do this, right? Um, kind of being freed from the rules in that sense. Um, and uh, I don't know. I feel like that's, that's like a thing that would be neat to try and recapture again. You know, I, I said this before, you know, this is kind of maybe why we, we always play new stuff at Gen Con is we're trying to recapture that sense of, like, never having played a, a tabletop game before. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Having, no, like, the whole possible I very space much feel in that. Front of you. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, items. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it's tough when it comes to it's tough when it comes to all of these things because it is so hard to stop yourself from like sort of spiraling out of control. It's such like a basic, you know, like <laughs> it's such like a a core part of the game that once you start to look at it a little sideways and want to redo it, it kind of, like, unravels the whole sweater, and you need to knit the whole thing over again. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. 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 I also, like like I said, I think part of this is that, like, is that because it, like, because it all has to, it has to, like, like the, the, the way this all gets communicated is through the GM, right? Like, with a, with a cooperative computer game, right? Like, there's something happening on the screen in front of you, um, and you can have like you can you don't have to talk all the time because you can like see what's happening in front of you, but you don't really get that in D and D, right? Because one of the limitations is that the, the kind of arbiter of the game has to be controlling what's happening, right? Like I'm almost yeah. thinking like that, like uh, what is what is the like the not uh, death the beyond divinity the divinity beyond divinity original sin, div- that, yeah, like that has like a GM mode. I'm wondering if like that's kind of the like the 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 protean beginnings of what I'm thinking about, which is like yeah yeah somebody like builds out some custom like some content that you can just kind of interact with without having to have the GM be an active force um, immediately to kind of like understand what's happening, and then you can go through that go through it that way and still have kind of like these 
these the tabletop elements by having the GM be like an active person that can step in when he wants to. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't have a good answer because it is so hypothetical. Uh, but I think it is a. It's uh, it's obviously it's obviously something like really neat to kind of like consider, and if that was coming out, I really could feel myself you know get sort of like wrapped up in it. Uh, in one sense, I actually sort of fear that something like that would kind of devolve into a Diablo clone, yeah, um, which I don't think would be very good. Um, I think you know being able to play Skyrim with like a big group of people that's like an appropriately you know like kind of tasked thing maybe like fallout 76 is sort of like a protean example of this like you you do you try you load into a server with a bunch of other people in it or whatever and there's a gm person who can like spawn stuff and keep track of what you're doing or whatever that would be like a really neat game to kind of like that would be like a really neat game to see yeah i i I feel like i feel like what you really want is just like a, a, a stronger kind of incentive to stay in character yeah. Right, like, I mean, I will say that there are uh, that there are RP servers for GTA Five that do this, where they have like GMs and stuff like that, and you you load into the server and you are expected to be in character at all times, whether as like a cop or a criminal or whatever, and all these other sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see to see this. Moving forward, I, I do kind of wish that we could like, I, w- I wish that like we lived, we all lived closer together. That way, we could do this stuff more in person. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of being together in person, uh, for those of you at home that are uh, unaware, uh, Gen Con housing is, lottery is in like two weeks, and you should get your shit together. Like we should get our shit together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know for real. Um, um, because I, I like we're, we're we're ending towards. Uh, we're trending towards the end of our time. Uh, so I think this might be around the right time. Did you have anything else you wanted to say before we transitioned out to the, uh, to our weeks? No, I think that was a very strong, that was a very strong, uh, discussion. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was exactly what we started with, but it essentially what's boiled down to is like getting the good parts of video game motivations into tabletop games, which is, um, interesting subject. Anyway, um, Besides not planning for Gen Con, what have you done with your week? Uh, so I've been playing a lot of Dragon Age, um, which we obviously talked a whole bunch about. I, I just want to take a second to talk about how good this game is. I It was my game of the year, whatever year it came out, I remember. Uh, but I don't really think I appreciated how good it was until I came back to play it a second time. Um, I feel like all of these Bioware games are, you know, really strong kind of from like a narrative character sort of like thematic point of view. Um, but I don't really think that I got the themes of Dragon Age Inquisition the first time I played it. But the second time I played it, boy, it's all over the place. Because the whole game is about like, it's essentially about like, it's kind of like faith and like atheism versus theism or whatever, and it's, like, allowing you to kind of explore that space. Um, And this is going to go into some very mild spoilers of the game, so I apologize uh, for folks uh, 
who haven't necessarily... I'm not going to spoil the ending or anything kind of along those lines, just, like, some stuff that happens. But, like, so in the beginning of the game, right, you walk out of, like, the Fade, like, the otherworldly dimension with all the demons and where magic comes from and all this other sort of shit. And people are constantly telling you, they call you the Herald of Andraste, who is, like, this world's Jesus. Um, and they're constantly telling you that you were saved by Andraste herself, uh, and all these other sorts of things. And, like, you're encouraged to buy in to the, like, you're encouraged to, like, buy into the narrative. Because you don't know what happened. Yeah, anything is possible sort of thing. Um, and it's politically expedient for you. Because you're founding the Inquisition, which is this political force between Ferelden and Orle in Thetis, right? Um, the, like, the first act of the game ends with the town that you're in being destroyed by like the big bad guy um and all of these people going through this big pilgrimage through the mountains or whatever um and it's actually like a very like heart-wrenching moment when the kind of like everybody's feeling pretty hopeless and dejected and like the resident priest starts singing this song with the melody of like the dragon age theme and the song is all about having faith in like dark times because of like Andraste and shit. And so like you get a very clear early picture about why faith and like kind of buying into like the religious structure of the world is like a good important idea, right? But then about halfway through the game, you find out what happened and it has nothing to do with being chosen by Andraste or anything like that. Your character is honestly kind of just a random rube who happened to be in the wrong place at the right time and you got the anchor on your hand because Corypheus butterfingered a ball and you picked it up and it gave you all of like your super secret like magic powers or whatever and so it kind of like demystifies the whole thing but you still have people constantly asking you and talking to you about like your faith and they're like oh are you chosen by Andrasing? it's like well i know i wasn't i know what happened now because my memories got restored or whatever but do i keep up the lie right like when you uh, tell people but, but buddy, no but buddy were you not did Andraste not make things happen such that whoever yeah, yeah. figured the ball? Like, I mean, this, this, this is like, you know, this, this is this is actually kind of to kind of step out the realm of outside of the realm of video games for for a second. But it's like, you know, um, this is this is this is a thing that I I think I heard it out of uh, maybe out of like um, uh, Alan Watts maybe, but it's like um, you know the theist and the atheist are like sitting in a bar and the. The atheist says to the theist, you know, you know I tried the theism thing for like a, a hot minute. I was dying in the desert and I said, God, if only you will save me, um, I will be faithful forever. Um, and the theist says, well, you obviously got out of the desert. Why don't you believe? Right. Like it's, it's like, well, two random strangers walked around, came along, you know, like two, two, you know, village people found me in the desert and brought me back. It wasn't God's doing at all. And the says, ah, oh, but that, that was God's doing, right? Like it's just kind of like a, yeah. a, a totally separated frame, frame of mind. I don't know how, how Inquisition handles it, but I, but I imagine that's kind of, that's kind of like the common trope there, right? That like, yeah, I mean, so part of this, and I don't mean to get, I don't mean to get spicy on the podcast. Part of this is that with my Audible subscription, I've been listening to Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. 
<laughs> which has put all of this stuff in the very forefront, right? Because obviously Richard Dawkins has absolutely no respect for theism in most of its forms. Um, and, and he talks about like, okay, well, why does, why does religion exist or whatever? And it's like, well, it exists because people see an uncompleted circle and they want to complete the circle. Plus people respect authority figures, essentially kind of thing. Right. So, you know, theism conveniently answers unknowable questions for people and, people want to add you know like want good reasons to kind of like adhere to hierarchy and authority and structures um and so and so it, it, it was very it was very clear to me every time somebody would ask me something like are you the herald of andraste and there was like a real pull to say yes because you want to inspire like the fucking random ass soldier you're talking to or whatever who is like literally putting their life on the line for you and because they like believe in your cause like like what are you gonna say to that person like no you know the best i could do was like i don't know uh or whatever um and like just to kind of like feel that pull in a very like real way uh was very interesting the craziest part by the way about this is that there's the whole back half of inquisition is also simultaneously dealing with the uh the elven gods who are like also there uh and like interact with like interact with things and so like even though the first half of the game kind of disproves the inherent theism it suggests, right? At first, you don't really know if Andraste single-handedly saved you from the fade and delivered you back with this, like, crazy mark. And then you find out, no, you just kind of walked through the fade with the mark because that's what allowed it to do. And the only reason you had the mark in the first place was because of fucking Corypheus' Butterfingers. <laughs> um but then you like now you're actually going back and you're dealing with like oh the fucking reincarnated elven gods who I think are going to be the subject of Dragon Age Four. I don't really know the, the details as of yet. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. Dragon Age is such a fucking good game, uh, just because like you know it wants you to it like wants you to like think and consider this shit. It, it honestly reminds me a lot of the kind of like watershed moment I had when I was playing Mass Effect Two and I was kind of like. Oh my god, Mass Effect 2 is just kind of, like... The whole point of Mass Effect 2 is to take every single thing in Mass Effect 1 and show you the other side of it. You know what I mean? It shows you the other side of the Geth. It shows you the other side of the... Uh, what are they called? The Terminus systems, like the lawless outlands that aren't part of Citadel space. It shows you the other side of... Uh, Cerberus, who you're obviously, like, working for or whatever. Um, it shows you the other side of the Council, who are, like, completely deaf to the idea of the Reapers existing, even in the first place. It shows you the other side of... I mean, it shows you the both sides of plenty of issues. Um, and I think that, like, this is kind of another version of that... And even though I love Dragon Age 2 and I think Dragon Age Origins is okay, I don't even really think either of those two games kind of captured that as well as Inquisition has. So, I've been playing Inquisition. I've also been playing other stuff, but why don't you... What's going on in your life? Tell yeah. me all about it. So, uh, the two big games I've been playing are Beat Saber and uh, Path of Exile. Um, uh, Path of Exile first... Um, I'm still not super far. Every time I play this game, I end up playing it a little bit longer. Maybe eventually I'll, I'll get a character to max level. Um, and it, essentially part of it is like, you know, you're 
you're it's 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 you're faced with like seven billion options at some point you have to say like i'm just going to do what i'm going to do and i'll worry about that later once they have like kind of the requisite knowledge built up um Mm because it's not like it's like hard right like it's not like it's not like i've had any trouble with anything so far it's not like if i'm making the wrong quote unquote is it like it's it's this weird game where like it's this weird thing where like you're like everything i've read says that like the big draw of this game is you can kind of truly do your own build in this game, but there are like kind of hard guardrails on it, right? Like if you don't have enough survival in like in your passive, you've, have you seen the Path of Exile passive tree? It's like uh no, but that's it's, nuts. It's it's crazy and massive. You you should Google it if uh, while while I'm talking about it, just kind of like look at it. Um, and it's like you know a billion nodes with like a thousand like kind of different ways you could go about it. And there are wrong ways to build into that tree, but there are, like, an infinite number of right ways, just kind of a matter of threading that needle. Um, and, you know, I think that there are some... There's Jesus some, fucking Christ. Right? Um, what the... Oh, my God! Okay, I actually recommend every single person go Google it. I, because you, so it shows you the tree. So it shows you the tree, right, on the Path of Exile site or whatever. But, like... It do, what it doesn't show you is the, the the what it's it's scrollable. You can it's this is insane. Yeah, um, each class starts at a different point on the tree, and you can kind of work your way around to different points on it. Um, and it's all interconnected, and they, there's like tons of different things you can do, and all sorts of different builds you can do, and it's crazy like that. And there are like like more and less layers of customization as you go on, like. There's different items. There are different skills. Skills aren't, like, tied to your class. They're, like, gems that you get that you can level up. And then there are support gems that modify those. And how things link are are its own thing. And it's, like, and there's, like, 10,000 different types of currency. And it's, it's, it's like, the it's like the biggest Diablo-style wankfest um, that I, like, that I have ever seen. And it's, uh, it's just a kind of, like, way to spend time. And it's, it's, it's. It hasn't been challenging yet, which is kind of, like, why I'm not as crazy about it so far. And I've, I'm getting, like I said, I'm getting deep into it. So I'm, I'm hoping at some point I'll hit um, I'll hit something a little bit more challenging. But it's, 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 it's if you are, want to, I wanted to scratch that Diablo itch, and this let me do that. Um, so I'm happy with it in that, in that kind of sense. Um, the other game I was playing, like I said, was uh, Beat Saber. Um I've been really enjoying that. Um, I've gotten some some like it, it caused me to think. Is Beat Saber, is Beat Saber like uh, Guitar Hero where you're doing it to real songs? Yeah. Well, um, so the way this is actually this is a thing I wanted to bring up, right? Like, there's like maybe like ten songs in it, but you can there there are mods for custom songs, right? Um, uh, and I feel like the game isn't worth it if you can't mod in those songs, um, which is, like, it's its own interesting ethical dilemma. Like, technically, it's still in early access, so I think it okay. kind of, like, I think it kind of, like, dodges uh, some of that. Um, like, dodges, you know, the fact that, like, it's not, like, it's not worth it for these, like, semi-illegal, like, you know, I've got all sorts of copyrighted music in my game that, like, I, I play to. I don't think anybody played a license fee for those, so, you know, whatever. But, um, uh, playing through it has made me like, um, like it, the 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 kind of 
stuff like the the actual steps that you go through are called maps and i i've got a lot of thoughts about like what makes a good rhythm game and like what makes a good map um and so it's just been interesting kind of thinking through these things like the the first thing is yeah yeah, yeah. is um i don't think that like uh, a life bar is a thing that should be in rhythm games anymore i think that's like it's like the same kind of like holdover from the past like from the arcades that we just haven't gotten past yet um i think eventually we we will get past it like i play with failure off anyway it makes my score like half cost so like i can't get any high scores but i don't care i just don't think it's i just don't think it's 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 fun um i'm very solid about this i think that like there's no need like i don't care that much but i don't think there's any need to discount my score because you know if i'm not doing well then I'm not going to get a high score anyway. It's not like it, it's just like that that failure stage, just like another level of weird difficulty on top of it. Um, more controversial and something I'm a little bit less less uh, less solid on is I don't think um, bombs should be a thing. This is a thing that that's in a lot of different rhythm action games, but it's like basically places like spaces that you shouldn't hit in in Beat Saber. It's like a bomb that if you slice it, you you take a hit. And it resets your combo or whatever. And I don't think those are particularly fun. I didn't think they were ever fun in DDR when I was big into that. Um, again, uh, you can also turn those off. I, I think that – I don't think it's, like, solely true. Like, there I've seen some cool moments in games that were kind of, like, mandated by bombs. But I think in, in large part they're just kind of, like, annoying. I also think that part of this is, like, some interface problems with Beat Saber itself. The bombs don't have any light behind them. And so they can be sometimes hard to see, like, where, where the cubes are glowing. Um uh, uh, but like in terms of like what makes a really good map, um, uh, I, I, am you know, you know how we, we sometimes talk about like what difficulty is a game meant to be played at? Um, um yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that I like the thing that I want is like there, there are difficulties that each map should be played on. And I think that's kind of like the, like what makes you feel the most like a badass when you're doing it? And, like, there are difficulties that are higher and lower than that. But I think that's, like, actually kind of, like, peak rhythm game enjoyment. And the problem is is that not every song is going to, like, there's some songs that naturally when you have the right kind of map to it, it's going to be a, like, a medium. And somewhere it's going to be a very hard, right? Um, like, I think, like, some of the slower right, songs right, right. are naturally going to be easier. And as a result on, like, the harder settings, there's just, like, a ton of superfluous stuff in there that you have to do. And I don't think it quite fits right well with the music it's not as good an experience but uh um you know i i think kind of like ignoring a score and just like feeling like a badass is is the best part of that game um especially when they do like like a lot of mappers are good at like doing silly little gimmicks which i think are like the the highest part of the art form like there's this um there's this one of the, one of the songs that i saw that i could download was like a meme mashup and it was not a great song but the map was pretty itself was pretty good, and like things like there was a section where it played a, a segment from uh you know I full sixty fives I'm blue, and it's only blue squares that come up. I'm like oh that's that's funny, um or like um there was a song where it's like where like the some the, the song is something about like turning around and so like the um the blocks were all backwards right like you you had to essentially hit the right. the the left the left block. Or the the blocks there the blocks that correspond to your right hand they were on the left side of the screen, um, which I think is is really cool. I, I just think that the game's kind of really masterfully put together. Um, I think that, like I said, like 
I kind of want to sit down and put together my thoughts, like what makes for a good map. Um, there's actually a great community at a site called Beast Saber. I think it's Beast Saber is what the full na- the full name of the site is, um, and they're good at kind of like curating what's a great map and whatnot. And uh, you know, as uh, as silly, like you know, it feels so it's, it's so much fun to just kind of like dance around to like the greatest showman and like feel like a feel like feel like you're kind of. Uh, like either in that, like you know, in in like these films where like there's choreographed dance numbers, like I, you know, it's like you feel like you're kind of in that mode, even though you're not, or like you feel like um, you're like the 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 timpani player at the back of an orchestra. It just, it just feels great. It's a lot of fun. I love that game. It's it's been a, a blast for the past uh, past week. Wow. Okay. Uh, so okay, so I've been playing another game that I want to talk about. Um, that I'm almost embarrassed to talk about, but I actually feel like that embarrassment is part of why I, why we need to talk about it. So I bought The Sims 4 and one of its, like, expansion packs as part of, like, a holiday thing for, like, 25 bucks or something like that. Have you ever played, like, The Sims? No, I never got into it. Okay, so I played the original Sims, and then I also played, like, The Sims 2, and I find both of these, and I find all of these games, like, very compelling, uh, in kind of, uh, like, a little bit of, like, a Skinner Box sort of way, but it also, like, a weird, like, Second Life way, you know what I mean? Like, because you get really attached to your Sims, and you want them to have, like, a good, fun life with doing their things or whatever, Um, but, like... When I started looking into The Sims, did you know that The Sims was the best-selling game of both 2015 and 2016? That sounds about right. Why is nobody talking? Why does nobody talk about this? You know what I mean? Like, holy shit, The Sims is being played all over, apparently, and I we never hear about it. Um, and uh, I don't really know. I don't really know what I, what. I, what that means, or I, what we have to... I don't think it has a lot of traction with the enthusiast crowd, as yeah. it were, right? Like, you know, like, what was the best What was the, 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 the best kind of selling movie of 2015 and 2016? It's probably a Marvel movie, and, you know, that has some notoriety to it, but, like... So the best selling movies have been Star Wars movies. Last oh, right. year was The Last Jedi, then it was Rogue One, then it was... This year, I think it's going to be... Uh, Infinity War, but maybe Black Panther? I don't really know which one got better. Right. I know that both of those crossed a billion. Aquaman is crossing a billion today, uh, though I don't think it's going to beat either of those two, obviously. Um, the, the point being that, like, like the, the, the movies that, like, kind of, like, enthusiasts go apeshit for are not necessarily the ones that are the highest grossing. I think this yeah, is kind yeah. of, like... Um, I also suspect that, like, um, you know, like, in kind of like the demographics that it appeals to, um, it's probably like the only game that really get like you know, uh, like it's not like there's a lot of like there's like an indie version of The Sims that like a lot of people would be clamoring for if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I want to amend by the way. It is to be specific. It became the best selling PC game of 2014 and 2015, uh, not 2015 2016. So that was my fault. Uh, yeah, I also think it, it, it is something that attracts teenagers. Uh, the, the most, I, I am struck because I've played the original Sims, the Sims one, and I've played the Sims two, which both came out in the early two thousands. Um, 
I'm struck by how much The Sims 4 seems rewired from the ground up to kind of be, uh, to kind of, like, attract, I guess, um, like, young teenage kind, like, the young kind of teenage crowd. Like, the most recent expansion is called Get Famous. Um, one of the, one of the jobs, one of the careers, uh, available to your Sims is as a social media influencer. And I feel like that very, you know, in the same way that like the original Sims let you become a superhero if you took the, if you did the right stuff or whatever. And like, you could say that's kind of like a power fantasy or whatever. Like, I think the fantasy of the Sims has as like a social media influencer still exists in like the modern you know like in like the modern day and age um but it's 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 geared towards different like you know different people i guess yeah um i was it's it's also weird because like it's not like it's like the one of the top selling games of all time which you might you might kind of expect right like you know like yeah um I guess it just kind of dominates in its year. It's it, so I'm, I'm reading a headline that says it's the biggest selling franchise ever, from like uh, 2008. Maybe part of this is that like, you know, the PC itself is like a weird platform, right? Like yeah, yeah. Um, I like I guess I would say something like you know Pokemon or whatever, right? Yeah. Would would but like it do, that never touches PC, so it doesn't count. Yeah. Um, or and even if it did, right? Like, like Minecraft is big, but how much of that is console games? Um, yeah, and like, I feel like it's hard to dominate in the PC market just because it's, it's like a neat. Like, it would not surprise me if a lot of this, a lot of this, is that like The Sims can run on any PC that you have, whereas like the more hardcore games require an enthusiast PC to actually run. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Like, I. I, I think the more that I think about it, I think the caveat that it's the best-selling PC game is is important um, and informative. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else. So, how has your experience with it been? Uh, amazing, because it's hilarious uh, how this how this game works. It's mostly like it feels like a big blast from the past, honestly, for me, um, because I played these games and I was like. When I was, like, a, a kid. And they're not hard or, you know, like, I can't even really put my my finger on what's compelling about it. I think it's just the, the role-playing game kind of, like, aspect of, how, of, like, how this stuff works. And then, like, there's a very insidious, like, you know... You know, like, I, I talked about the, the kind of, like, the Marxist critique. This is, like, the Marxist critique of The Sims, which is that the the enjoyment that comes out of The Sims is just about, like, living a good capitalist life where you have money to buy things in it or something like that. Like, maybe that's a piece of it. Like, when, you know, you come you come home from work and you get your immediate, like, paycheck thing and it's, like tons and tons of money and there's no rent in the sims or anything or anything kind of along those lines it seems so you're just like constantly like oh well i think i'll upgrade my television to like the super expensive flat screen television today or whatever and it's like so maybe like that's what it is i really don't know 
Uh, part of it is just like running like a simulation of like my sim is me, right? And then I also have a sim for Rachel, and we're obviously like married. We're, we are we are married, but in the Sims we're also married. But like now I'm like, oh well, now I need to make a sim for like all of our friends. Like, wonder if my if Sim Buddy will be friends with Sim Mango. Can we start is, a Sim podcast together? Is, you know what is, I mean? Is like, there a Sim Mango? No, there. I haven't made a Sim Mango okay. yet, though. I'm going to have to. I guess <laughs> at this point now, I'll have to update you next week. I'll play a little bit of Sim Mango over the course of the week so that you can. This is like when see uh, how well your <laughs> uh, friend of the cast Monic apparently named his squad members after a bunch of us, and he's like, yeah. Uh, Mango and X died in my XCOM run, so you know there's. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I uh, it's it's interesting. I just, I, I just could never get into like, whenever I played The Sims, I would instantly like cheat a bunch and like, just, like I, I enjoyed it more as kind of like a sandbox than as like you know like in in, in the way that like you could turn off like turn on creative mode in Minecraft. I never really appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It for, like, I, I definitely did the same thing. I used to just, like, make houses. It was almost like an architecture mm. simulator for me for a long time. Um, but uh, but yeah. I've been sticking to the rules this time. Uh, and, you know, we've been, we've, been working our, we've been working our way up. Yeah, uh, I, like, can you even <laughs> cheat in The Sims 4? I feel like that's a thing they lock behind, like, a microtransaction or something. I mean, you know, maybe. I, I haven't tried. Uh, let me, let me, let's, let's check. Um. So, so, so while you're checking on that, um, uh, it looks as though there is a cheat code. Okay. Yeah. It, so you can cheat in the Sims like you cheat in uh, Skyrim. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh. So you're you're a big fan of like of of uh what what is what is the show uh the 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 show with the lawyer. Uh, Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. Yeah. Yes, Better Call Saul. So, it is my. It is the best game on television, or it's the best show on television. It's about like a really like shady lawyer, right? Uh, yes. You might consider. I have not watched Better Call Saul, so I can't tell you how directly comparable it is. But you should consider watching on Netflix the show Rake. I talked about it a little while ago when I watched the pilot, and I've been watching uh, other episodes going forward. And it's about it's it's Australian law, so you know it's it's not quite the same legal system, which prevents me from being like oh this is not accurate at all um but uh it's like a a lawyer that is a terrible person um in a lot of like he has a bunch of shitty clients the cases aren't always the most compelling part but there's also just kind of like this network of personal drama underlying it all it's 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 a great i guess black comedy is the right way to put it um like uh like the 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 a lot of the arcs are about like the main character Cleaver Green's kind of like romantic troubles. Like the first episode centers around like he he regularly goes to a whorehouse and sleeps with this one whore, um, and then she quits, and then it turns out she's going to be a lawyer as well, and he like interacts with her in real life. It's it's very strange, and then he's got like his he's he is longtime friends with his best friend's wife. Like that gets its own arc, and there's a lot of drama there. He's gotten his own ex-wife, and it's it's just like an absurd show that is is hilarious and uh, it's like super compelling. Um, so, uh, quick question: Is it a legal drama? Like, is every episode scheduled like kind of scheduled around a you know like a case of the week, like Boston Legal, for instance, something like that? Ali McBeal. 
Um, so there, there is a ca- there is a different case every episode, and okay, it drives yeah. part of the plot. But sometimes it's just kind of like secondary, like so, like the 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 drama about his personal life doesn't always follow from the case. Sometimes it does. Gotcha. Okay. Um, cool, cool. And like I said, like I've watched like six or seven episodes now, and like the case isn't always super compelling. The first episode, the case is great, um, uh, and uh, it, it's it's also just about like kind of how he's like falling apart um it's a lot of it's about him like you know what he what does he say in the first episode it's like you know i don't care about what's right i care about the law kind of thing right like oh my god <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and like and he, he's like kind of a skeezy guy but like he's got mm. like a heart of gold type thing um, although he does fuck up a lot, it's, it's a great, it's a good watch. Yeah, yeah. Better Call Saul is is more traditionally structured like a like a regular drama. Um, there really are a couple of cases that get kind of resolved, <clears throat> but it isn't like uh, you know, it's not like episodic in that in that sort of way. But it is very much in the same sort of thing where it's like, um, I mean, the the core. This is part of what makes Breaking Bad interesting as well, um, because so much of it relies on the sort of interesting. Uh, non-linear, like, thinking, um, or lateral thinking of the protagonist, like, because Walter White is a chemist, right, um, so, and not, and not, like, an accomplished drug dealer, he does stuff that is, that is, like, crazy and unique for the drug trade because of his knowledge of chemistry, right? Um, and in the same sort of way, because Saul is or Jimmy for most of the show, because Saul is a con man who reforms into a lawyer. He it's, it's like interesting watching him solve like legal problems, but like with kind of con man methods, if that makes sense. Um, there's also a secondary character, Mike Ehrman trout, um, who is like a big character in breaking bad as well, but he also, you know, is a, a former cop. And so he thinks about the drug trade, differently than like other people think about it and like that's the and the when when those shows are at their height it is about that specific thing um it's about using those kinds of skills outside of their like intended you know uh uh intended sort of like interactions or whatever um so that's interesting yeah i actually know that rake got remade in the u.s with greg kinnear for like a season or something uh, because I remember seeing like billboards and shit for it. Oh, really? I, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the original Australian version is on Netflix, so you know. Very cool. Very cool. I've been watching Community actually recently. Can we just like? We, I, we I, should. I, we should do. We should do like, at some point maybe this year, do like a rewatch of Community. Cause... I will. Yeah, I would be so happy to do like a big retrospective on Community. It is insane how impactful from like a pop culture perspective. Community has been like the. the I keep seeing names like you'll just see like scrolling in the in the credits like for instance the guy the composer on Community the guy who does the music for Community is a guy named Ludwig uh, Ludwig Göransson who just broke into movies in a really big way because of uh, because he's friends with Ryan Coogler in uh, and did the Black Panther soundtrack um, and so and and like the you know it was originally produced with the Russo brothers. Uh, you know, like, they directed a bunch of, like, episodes, and now they are helming, like, the biggest movies, you know, 
in the in like the popular conscious <clears throat> in the popular consciousness obviously like there's all of these small guest stars that pop up like you know like brie larson has like a couple of individual appearances or whatever i'm just kind of like jesus christ this show like uh, um it's amazing how how deeply rooted so much of our pop culture was in this from like 10 years ago at this point yeah and um, it, it's, it's weird because it's like it wasn't like a, a particular like an exceptionally popular show right it's not like a friends or a seinfeld yeah um, yeah but, but it, it, it's just kind of like but it definitely kind of had that lasting impact on the culture yeah, I've heard quite a bit that the that it kind of came at the wrong time. Like now, for instance, the Nielsen Company does ratings of online shows like Netflix shows and stuff like that. And so we have better ways to kind of like directly compare things like that. Um, but I have heard kind of apocryphal stories about how, you know, Community got – Community was like the number one show on Hulu and it's the number one show on – Netflix. you know, like all this stuff. Because I, rem- like, I remember in college everyone I knew – we had all seen it, but none of us, wa- you know, like none of us watched it on cable, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like kind of that it like it was it was at a time and for a time that just like where its popularity couldn't be couldn't be like measured. Um, but yeah, we should definitely do we should definitely do a community episode. Also, uh, we are planning to do a Young Justice episode. The Young Justice season three has started airing. I think at like ten episodes deep or something. Um, well, shit. Uh, I just get so, come up on that then. <laughs> yeah, so we'll need to. So we'll that that'll be sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, but this coming week's episode. Uh, we have we have announced, not. or well, we ha- oh no, we have not announced. This yeah. coming week's episode is going to be a rewatch of wait, the Last wait, Jedi. No, I, it might not be this week. Remember? Oh, it might not be this, this week? week. Next, in the next two weeks, one of the two episodes will be a rewatch of the Last Jedi. Um, I just want to tell people rewatch the Last yeah, Jedi because yeah. we're doing that in one of the next two weeks because of. Uh, uh, because it's still on Netflix, I have no idea when it's coming off of Netflix. But it's we gotta go back. We gotta go back to yeah. you know. <laughs> just, just to give you a preview, essentially, like in the year since this passed, a lot of kind of like the pop culture criticism has come out. Um, I want like I have sensed myself drifting uh, negative more negatively on that film, but I haven't watched it in a while, so I have to want to recenter myself on it. I also kind of want to go through the common criticisms of it and see how much we think any of them hold water. I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be compiling a list out of um, Red Letter Media's, both of Red Letter Media's reviews and um, the Fido Giswaldi review, which was very popular. Um, I wa- like I, I was watching him before it was popular, but it was one that got a lot of traction. Oh, were um, you watching him before it was cool, Mango? Were you watching him before it was cool? Um, I mean, I got into him because he also had a he had a video where he like went to one of the protests in Berkeley and handed out Pepsi as kind of like a get because that was around the time of the, that Kendall Jenner episode where she oh like, my god I remember that yeah and he's so, yeah she hands like she hands the cop a Pepsi. Pepsi oh my god so oh, yeah so so, <laughs> so this guy um he he buys some Pepsi he's like I'm gonna solve this protest and like first they won't let him in with the Pepsi um. And then, like, he manages to sneak in with the Pepsi, and he hands it to a guy who, like, immediately, like, throws it at somebody on the other side. He's like, yeah, maybe that's why. So, you know, he's, he, he's, he's a fun guy to watch sometimes. But he, he had a very popular um, Last Jedi review that kind of trashed it in a bunch. If you've got any recommendations, like, if you guys at home yeah, have any we'll have to we'll have to compile, because yeah. I, I definitely have seen plenty of things 
the, there was a movies with Mikey episode two episodes I actually think that were in the defense of the Last Jedi, um, and also there's a movie Bob thing where he talks about the Last Jedi. His reading of the film is very close to my reading of the film in that it is ultimately a very uplifting story about like the who the Jedi and like that Luke's character arc is like you know people misunderstand kind of like Luke's character arc. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 definitely compile a big old big fat list. Maybe yeah. we'll like tweet it out or something so that everybody can walk into this episode just like with all the research, all the fucking homework done. Yeah. I, I I feel like I feel like I've got I've got a couple theories brewing into my head as as to like not not only like what I think of the movie, but like why the reaction is kind of how it is and how it's why it's so polarizing around the movie. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I actually okay. <laughs> okay i will get into this we'll get into this but just as a sneak peek uh something that occurred to me the other day because i was just like having a conversation about this at work something that, that occurred to me the other day about the about the last Jedi is that i actually think that the reaction reminds me a lot of the reaction to and the and the subsequent polarization of um of man of steel uh, and I am very interested to get into the, to get into the nuances there. Cause the, the, the polarization with Man of Steel to me, it all comes down to like taste. And I almost sort of wonder if it's the same thing, right? Like yeah. we all might agree that it is a kind of quote unquote quality movie, but people are misattributing their taste for quality in places, which is what's, is, which, okay. which is where, where it's Th- going. To give you a little bit, a little of a hint on my nascent theory, I think it's in, in kind of tune with that is, um, there are like, I don't, I don't remember exactly like what all my evidence for this is, but like, it's essentially that the movie, like there are things in the movie that are good for the movie, but bad for the universe. And I think that kind of falls into that paradigm that you're describing. Oh yeah. That's really interesting. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'm so excited. Yeah. All right. But we have to, we're done. <laughs> yeah. We have to wrap up. If you'd yeah, like to, to email us up. with uh, any sources that you want us to look at for that episode, if you want to tell us what you think about like these motivation things we talked about in the, in the main part of the episode or any of the other stuff we talked about on this podcast, you can reach us at some play games at gmail.com or podcast at some play games.com. Uh, you can follow us at twitch.tv slash games. You can find us on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Um, all that other great stuff. Um, that's everything I had. Subscribe buddy. to the YouTube channel yeah, that we have. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting to update. Um, uh, that's everything for me, buddy. Do you have anything else that you're looking to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.